Good morning, everyone, and welcome to our Course in Miracles daily reading conference call. We read from the text of Course in Miracles original edition, published by our very dear friends at the Course in Miracles Society. You can access an online copy of the original edition by going to jcim.net, or if you mouse with the link at top for online edition, you'll see the link to read ACIMOE. Also at that website, there's a tab called Lessons Sign Up, where you can sign up to receive a daily excellent email, which includes the reading that we share every morning, Monday through Friday, as well as the text, or as well as the lesson for the day. My name is Lori Cameron. This calls Monday through Friday from about 9.15 to about 11 a.m. Eastern. And today we continue reading the Manual for Teachers, discussing paragraphs. Oops. One second, different page in the book, isn't it? We're discussing under the characteristics of God's teachers, paragraphs 11 to 17. Paragraphs 11 through 17 in section 4 of the characteristics of God's teachers. We're also mindful of our lesson today, lesson 340. I can, I can be free of suffering today. I can be free of suffering today. And by way of opening, I was led finally to this perfect poem from Helen Shuckman in her book, The Gifts of God. The poem is called The Mirror, Mirror of Forgiveness. I cannot fail in anything. I am supported by the angels led by God unto himself. Christ establishes my own identity as his. The love of all God's universe belongs to me. What place has sorrow in my universe when it is but a mirror for what God created as forever filled with joy? Forgiveness is the mirror of his love, and it is this I would hold out to him, to catch the dream of holiness he gives, and then to find that it is not a dream. I can be free of suffering today. Amen. Thank you, Lori. No, you're ever so welcome. It was. Thank you, Lori. It was. A, it was fun. Um, looking for all those elements in one place only to arrive at Helen's poem. So anyway, it was a joy. Thank you for letting me share it. All right, my friends, here's our reading list today. So far, we have Robin Marie, Harrison, Karen, and Jessica. And who else has come along to join us? Uh, might like to read or just say good morning. Hi, Hi, this is Ivan. I'm listening. I'm glad you're here and listening, Ida. Thanks. I'd like to say good morning, yeah. Lori. Thank you for your opening. Morning, guys. I'll be listening for a while. Thank you. All right. You bet, Judy. Glad you're here. All righty. So, we're in the manual for teachers. 
The fourth section, what are the characteristics of God's teachers? The first was trust, and we're moving on from trust today in paragraph 11 to honesty. Go ahead and start us off. Paragraph 11, all other traits of God's teachers rest on trust. All other traits of God's teachers rest on trust. Once that has been achieved, the others cannot fail to follow. Only the trusting can afford honesty, for only they can see its value. Honesty does not apply only to what you say. The term actually means consistency. There is nothing you say that contradicts what you think or do. No thought opposes any other thought. No act belies your word. And no word lacks agreement with another. Such are the truly honest. At no level, at no level are they in conflict with themselves. Therefore, it is impossible for them to be in conflict with anyone or anything. Um, Robin Marie. Characteristics of God's teachers. Um, honesty. All other traits of God's teachers rest on trust. Once that has been achieved, the others cannot fail to follow. Only the trusting can afford honesty, for only they can see its value. Honesty does not apply only to what you say. The term actually means consistency. There is nothing you say that contradicts what you think or do. No thought opposes any other thought. No act belies your word. And no word lacks agreement with another. Such are the truly honest at no level are they in conflict with themselves. Therefore, it is impossible for them to be in conflict with anyone or anything. 12. The peace of mind which the advanced teachers of God experience is largely due to their perfect honesty. It is only the wish to deceive that makes for war. No one at one with himself can even conceive of conflict. Conflict is the inevitable result of self-deception, and self-deception is dishonesty. There is no challenge to a teacher of God. Challenge implies doubt, and the trust on which God's teachers rest secure makes doubt impossible. Therefore, they can only succeed. In this, as in all things, they are honest. They can only succeed because they never do their will alone. They choose for all mankind, for all the world, and all things in it. For the unchanging <coughs> excuse me, and unchangeable beyond appearances. 
and for the Son of God and his Creator. How could they not succeed? They choose in perfect honesty, sure of their choice themselves. Thank you, Robin Marie. And Harrison, if you'd like to do uh, paragraph, paragraph 12, and then roll right into tolerance, please. Thanks. Well, the peace of mind which the advanced teachers of God experience is largely due to their perfect honesty. It is only the wish to deceive that makes for war. No one at one with himself can even conceive of conflict. Conflict is the inevitable result of self-deception, and self-deception is dishonesty. There is no challenge to a teacher of God. Challenge implies doubt and the trust on which God's teachers rest secure makes doubt impossible. For they can only succeed in this as in all things they are honest. They can only succeed because they never do their will alone. They choose for all mankind, for all the world, and all things in it, for the unchanging and the unchangeable beyond appearances, and for the Son of God and his creator. How could they not succeed? They choose in perfect honesty, sure of their choice themselves. Tolerance. God's teachers do not judge. The judge is to be dishonest. For to judge is to assume a position you do not have. Judgment without self-deception is impossible. Judgment implies that you have been deceived in your brothers. How then could you not have been deceived in yourself? Judgment implies a lack of trust, and trust remains the bedrock of the teacher of God, of the teacher of God's whole thought system. Read that again. Judgment implies a lack of trust, and trust remains the bedrock of the teacher of God's whole thought system. Let 
this be lost and all his learning those without judgment are all things equally acceptable but who could judge otherwise without judgment are all men brothers for who is there who stands apart judgment destroys honesty and shatters trust no teacher of God can judge and hope to learn Wow. Oh, yeah. Thank you, Harrison. And Karen. Oh, oh, 13. God's teachers do not judge. To judge is to be dishonest. For to judge is to assume a position you do not have. Judgment without self-deception is impossible. Judgment implies that you have been deceived in your brothers. How then could you not have been deceived in yourself? Judgment implies a lack of trust, and trust remains the bedrock of the teacher of God's whole thought system. Let this be lost, and all learning goes. Without judgment are all things equally acceptable, for who could judge otherwise? Without judgment are all men brothers, for who is there who stands apart? Judgment destroys honesty and shatters trust. No teacher of God can judge and hope to learn. Gentleness. Paragraph 14. Harm is impossible for God's teachers. They can neither harm nor be harmed. Harm is the outcome of judgment. It is the dishonest act that follows a dishonest thought. It is a verdict of guilt upon a brother who therefore, and therefore on oneself. It is the end of peace and the denial of learning. It demonstrates the absence of God's curriculum and its replacement by insanity. No teacher of God but must learn, and fairly early in his training, that harmfulness completely obliterates his function from his awareness. It will make him confused, fearful, angry, and suspicious. It will make the Holy Spirit's lessons impossible to learn. Nor can God's teachers be heard at all except by those who realize that harm can actually achieve nothing. No gain can come of it. Thank you, Carrie. Um, And Jessica. Thank you. Fourteen. Harm is impossible for God's teachers. They can neither harm nor be harmed. Harm is the outcome of judgment. It is the dishonest act that follows a dishonest thought. It is a verdict of guilt upon a brother 
and therefore on oneself. It is the end of peace and the denial of learning. It demonstrates the absence of God's curriculum and its replacement by insanity. No teacher of God but must learn, and fairly early in his training, that harmfulness completely obliterates his function from his awareness. It will make him confused, fearful, angry, and suspicious. It will make the Holy Spirit's lessons impossible to learn. Nor can God's teachers be heard at all except by those who realize that harm can actually achieve nothing. No gain can come of it. 15. Therefore, God's teachers are wholly gentle. They need the strength of gentleness, for it is in this that the function of salvation becomes easy. To those who would do harm, it is impossible. To those to whom harm has no meaning, it is merely natural. What choice but this has meaning to the same? Who chooses hell when he perceives the way to heaven? And who would choose the weakness that must come from harm in place of the unfailing, all-encompassing, and limitless strength of gentleness? For they have understood their evil... Whoops, sorry. The might of God's teachers lies in their gentleness. For they have understood their evil thoughts came neither from God's Son nor his Creator. Thus did they join their thoughts with him who is their source, and so their will, which always was his own, is free to be itself. Thank you, Jessica. And let's see. 15 and 16. Is there a new reader who'd like to do paragraph 15 and roll into joy in paragraph 16? I'm a holy roller. I'm going to roll right into it. Thank you, Lori. <laughs> Thanks, Jude. Therefore, God's teachers are wholly gentle. They need the strength of gentleness. For it is in this that the function of salvation becomes easy. To those who would do harm, it is impossible. To those to whom harm has no meaning, it is merely natural. What choice but this has meaning to the same? Who chooses hell when he perceives a way to heaven? And who would choose the weakness that must come from harm in place of the unfailing, all-encompassing, and limitless strength of gentleness. The might of God's teachers lies in their gentleness, for they have understood their evil thoughts came neither from God's Son nor his Creator. Thus did they join their thoughts with him, who is their source. And so their will, 
which always was his own, is free to be itself. Joy. Joy is the inevitable result of gentleness. Gentleness means that fear is now impossible. And what could come to interfere with joy? The open hands of gentleness are always filled. The gentle have no pain. They cannot suffer. Why would they not be joyous? They are sure they are beloved and must be safe. Joy goes with gentleness. As surely as grief attends attack, God's teachers trust in him. And they are sure his teacher goes before them, making sure no harm can come to them. They hold his gifts and follow in his way because God's voice directs them in all things. Joy is their song of thanks, and Christ looks down on them in thanks as well. His need of them is just as great as theirs of him. How joyous it is to share the purpose of salvation. Amen. Thank you, Judy. (laughs) And is there another new reader uh, that could read 16, Joy, and 17, Defenselessness? Paragraph 16 and 17 in Section 4 of the Manual for Teachers, Characteristics. All righty, back to you, Robin Marie. Joy. 16. Joy is the inevitable result of gentleness. Gentleness means that fear is now impossible. And what could come to interfere with joy? The open hands of gentleness are always filled. The gentle have no pain. They cannot suffer. Why would they not be joyous? They are sure they are beloved and must be safe. Joy goes with gentleness as surely as grief attends attack. God's teachers trust in him. And they are sure his teacher goes before them making sure no harm can come to them. They hold his gifts and follow in his way because God's voice directs them in all things. Joy is their song of thanks. And Christ looks down on them in thanks as well. His need of them is just as great as theirs of him. How joyous it is to share the purpose of salvation. Defenselessness. 17. God's teachers have learned how to be simple. They have no dreams that need defense against the truth. They do not try to make themselves. Their joy comes from their understanding who created them. And does what God created need defense? No one can become an advanced teacher of God until he fully understands 
that defenses are but the foolish guardians of mad illusions. The more grotesque the dream, the fiercer and more powerful its defenses seem to be. Yet when the teacher of God finally agrees to look past them, he finds nothing was there. Slowly at first, he lets himself be undeceived. But he learns faster as his trust increases. It is not danger that comes when defenses are laid down. It is safety. It is peace. It is joy. And it is God. Oh, gosh, isn't that great? Thanks, Reverend Marie. Uh, And Harrison, it's your privilege today to finish... um, Today's reading with paragraph 17. Defenselessness. God's teachers have learned how to be simple. They have no dreams that need defense against the truth. They cannot try to make themselves. Their joy comes from their understanding who created them and does what God created need defense. No one can become an advanced teacher of God until he fully understands that defense is about the foolish guardians of mad illusions. The more grotesque the dream, the fiercer and more powerful its defenses seem to be. Yet, when the teacher of God finally agrees to look past them, he finds nothing was there. Slowly, at first, he lets himself be undeceived, but he learns faster as his trust increases. It is not danger that comes when defenses are laid down. It is safety. It is peace. It is joy. And it is God. Amen. Thank you, Harrison. And thank you, everyone who read this morning. And um, I'm just going to say uh, flat out, this this is such a tightly woven, um, such a tightly woven description of the Son of God that it's impossible to take it apart in any sort of summary. And... Um, so I would offer this, if we'd like, we can go ahead and read it through uh, just paragraph by paragraph straight, or we can open the floor now and, and learn from each other how we experience these. Is there a preference? Can we re-read it? I, I agree. One single paragraph at a time. I love it like that. Um, so let's see. 
we added Judy after Jessica, and I don't think we added any other new readers at that point. Is there anyone who would like to um, be on the list for the reread? Okay, then we'll go in this order, uh, paragraph by paragraph. Just read off when it's your turn, uh, like it's a song, okay? First is Judy, then Jessica, then Karen, then Harrison, then Robin Marie. If we need another one after that, I can chime in. Sound good? Yeah. If so, then... Uh, all right, Perfect. Judy, lead us off, please. Will do. Thank you, Lori. Honesty. All other traits of God's teachers rest on trust. Once that has been achieved, the others cannot fail to follow. Only the trusting can afford honesty, for only they can see its value. Honesty does not apply only to what you say. The term actually means consistency. There is nothing you say that contradicts what you think or do. No thought opposes any other thought. No act belies your word, and no word lacks agreement with another. Such are the truly honest. At no level are they in conflict with themselves. At no level are they in conflict with themselves. Therefore, it is impossible for them to be in conflict with anyone or anything. So glad to read this again. Thank you. Um, my turn? Yes, it is. Okay, sorry. Um, <clears throat> the peace of mind which the advanced teachers of God experience is largely due to their perfect honesty. It is only the wish to deceive that makes for war. No one at one with himself can even conceive of conflict. Conflict is the inevitable result of self-deception, and self-deception is dishonesty. There is no challenge to a teacher of God. Challenge implies doubt, and the trust on which God's teachers rest secure makes doubt impossible. Therefore, they can only succeed. In this, as in all things, they are honest. They can only succeed because they never do their will alone. They choose for all mankind, for all the world, and all things in it, for the unchanging and unchangeable beyond appearances, and for the Son of God and his Creator. How could they not succeed? They choose in perfect honesty, sure of their choice themselves. All right. God's teachers 
<clears throat> do not judge. To judge is to be dishonest. For to judge is to assume a position you do not have. Judgment without self-deception is impossible. Judgment implies that you have been deceived in your brothers. How then could you not have been deceived in yourself? Judgment implies a lack of trust, and trust remains the bedrock of the teachers of God's whole thought system. Let this be lost and all his learning goes. Without judgment are all things equally acceptable. For who could judge otherwise? Without judgment are all men brothers. For who is there who stands apart? Judgment destroys honesty and shatters trust. No teacher of God can judge and hope to learn. Is it impossible for God's teachers can neither harm or be harmed? Harm is the outcome of judgment. Is the dishonest follows dishonest? Is a verdict of guilt? upon a brother, therefore, oneself. It's the end of peace and the denial of learning. Demonstrates the absence of God's curriculum. It's replacement by sanity. A teacher of God must learn fairly early in his training. Harmfulness completely obliterates his function from his awareness. Or make him confused, simple, suspicious. Or make the Holy Spirit lessons impossible. Or can God's teacher be heard at all, except by those who realize harm actually achieved gain and come of it? Therefore, God's teachers are wholly gentle. They need the strength of gentleness, for it is in this that the function of salvation becomes easy. To those who do harm, it is impossible. To those to whom harm has no meaning, it is merely natural. What choice but this has meaning to the same? Who chooses hell when he perceives a way to heaven? And who would choose the weakness that must come from harm in place of the unfailing, all-encompassing, and limitless strength of gentleness? 
The might of God's teachers lies in their gentleness, for they have understood their evil thoughts came neither from God's Son nor his Creator. Thus they join their thoughts with him who is their source, and so their will, which always was his own, is free to be itself. Is there a new reader who would like to read paragraph 16? Joy? Hi, Lori. It's Mindy. It might take me a moment if there's anyone else I would like to. You go right ahead, Mindy. Thank you. We're in section four of the Manual for Teachers. Okay. And it looks like I do not have the entire thing, once again, um, on my mailing, so I have to pass. Thank you. Okay. All righty. Thanks for your offer. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. Joy. Paragraph 16, joy is the inevitable result of gentleness. Gentleness means that fear is now impossible. And what could come to interfere with joy? The open hands of gentleness are always filled. The gentle have no pain. They cannot suffer. Why would they not be joyous? They are sure they are beloved and must be safe. Joy goes with gentleness as sure as grief attends attack. God's teacher is trust in him. And they are sure his teacher goes before them, making sure no harm can come to them. They hold his gifts and follow in his way because God's voice directs them in all things. Joy is their song of thanks, and Christ looks down on them in thanks as well. His need of them is just as great as theirs of him. How joyous it is to share the purpose of salvation. And let's see, Judy, unless there's a new reader for paragraph 17, Defenselessness. Okay, Judy. Thank you, Lori. Defenselessness. God's teachers have learned how to be simple. They have no dreams that need defense against the truth. They do not try to make themselves. Their joy comes from their understanding. Capital Who created them and does what God created need defense. No one can become an advanced teacher of God until he fully understands that defenses are but the foolish guardians of mad illusions. The more grotesque the dream, the fiercer and more powerful its defenses seem to be. Yet when the teacher of God finally agrees to look past them, he finds nothing was there. Slowly at first, 
he lets himself be undeceived. But he learns faster as his trust increases. It is not danger that comes when defenses are laid down. It is safety. It is peace. It is joy. And it is God. Perfect. Thank you, everyone. Thank you uh, for making that call this morning with your voice. And I wonder, um, as I mentioned earlier, since Fran is um, uh, attending some family, I don't want to say the word problem, some family needs this morning since her brother has transitioned. I wonder if there's someone who'd like to lead our lesson reflection this morning, this very last day of what is the ego. And lesson 340, is there a volunteer? I'll give it a whirl. All right. Thanks, Judy. Oh, I'm looking at the wrong section. Here we go. What is the ego? The Son of God is egoless. What can he know of madness? and the death of God when he abides in capital him. What can he know of sorrow and of suffering when he lives in eternal joy? What can he know of fear and punishment, of sin and guilt, of hatred and attack, when all there is surrounding him is everlasting peace, forever conflict-free, and undisturbed in deepest silence and tranquility. Go to the lesson. Lesson 340. I can be free of suffering today. Father, I thank you for today and for the freedom I am certain it will bring. This day is holy, for today your Son will be redeemed. His suffering is done, for he will hear your voice, directing him to find Christ's vision through forgiveness and be free forever from all suffering. Thanks for today, my Father, I was born into this world but to achieve this day and what it holds in joy and freedom for your Holy Son and for the world he made, which is released along with him today. Be glad today. Be glad. There is no room for anything but joy and thanks today. Our Father has redeemed his son this day. Not one of us, but will be saved today. Not one who will remain in fear, and none the Father will not gather to himself. Awake in heaven, in the heart of love. I can be free of suffering today. Let's take five.
There is not one of us. Our Father has not gathered to himself. Not one of us. Our Father has not gathered to himself. Awaken in heaven and in the heart of love. I can be free of suffering today. Amen. And amen. Very, very excellent. Thank you, Judy. Thank you for that, Judy. Great. Thank you, Judy. Um, This is Jessica. I wanted to make a suggestion for Mindy for being able to see the whole reading. Are you still there, Mindy? Um, Okay, well... um, because I get I get the um, I get the reading in my email also, and sometimes based on how much is in the read, you know, the sections before the actual reading, the reading doesn't make it fully into the email. So at the very bottom it says view entire message, and that's how I get to see the rest of it. And I just figure that must be what's happening with her. So when she comes back, if I'm, I'm not here. here so... oh. <laughs> I tried so Andy. fast to unmute myself that I hung up on myself. <laughs> oh. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so, go ahead. Thank you. So if you look at the email that you get and you scroll to the very bottom, after the black and white um, text, there's a blue on white text that says view entire message. It's a link, link, I guess. View entire message. Hmm. Are you able to that? Okay. Um, it does say online searchable, but it didn't say on view entire message as it normally does with the other things. So that's why I gave up, but we'll see. Yeah, and it also about, requires... Okay, so mine ends after the introduction, the Manual for Teachers introduction. It's one paragraph. Then it says, continue to read online here, and there's a link. Here is I see. I see. Thank you. Okay, so that would work. Okay. Thank you so much. Um, You're so welcome. Thank you, Jessica. That that is... um, Ooh, that is an unfortunate it. characteristic of Gmail. Uh, it, it truncates uh, because of state, space limitations. Um, so if you if you receive it via Gmail, that will often happen to you. What, Judy? So let's read it again. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I second that. I second that. I would love to hear it again. Well, maybe after the floor's open for a bit, we'll have time to do that again. <laughs> Wonderful. Yeah. Uh, we've already heard it twice. Um, we can always read it more on our own. I, I mean, yeah. I'd love to just have some discussion. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you, Jessica. Yeah, this is Lori. And... Um, and in the event that we do read it again, I want to be sure I have a chance to um, say a couple things. Um, one uh, seems very important to me, 
you won't find it in in the course proper uh, but the essence to me of the course proper is the same teaching he taught himself when he said I am the vine and you are the branches and um, the way I read that or the way I understand that today is that uh, we are all extension out of source and we have in common we have in common our Christ identity remembering what is the body he said identify with love capital L you are safe identify with love and you are home identify with love and find your true self or your capital self that says the same to me as I am the vine and you are the branches and if you follow that metaphor um, to its fruition the word being fruition uh, it becomes totally logical and reasonable and even foreseeable that because of this relationship growing out of source and the sonship that we would bear fruit and in that context he says um, God gives so-called special gifts to his teachers they are characteristics that grow out of holy relationship the essence of our relationship to the beloved or to the source is that very relationship that grows fruit he talks about it in the Course in Miracles and, and per se if you have a look at paragraph chapter 9 paragraph 30 he talks about the Holy Spirit is both God and you the Holy Spirit is both God and you in the context of that relationship it seems totally logical and reasonable and even predictable that the fruit of the relationship would be the characteristics of the teacher of God the capital teacher himself the Holy Spirit you follow and so um, what I want to say um, more than anything at all is that when I first read this list I recognized um, I, I recognized characteristics of teachers who I really admired and loved who I would have liked to have emulated even emulated as I in the first half of my life tried to emulate what I learned about Jesus but to the ego it is impossible these characteristics are the antithesis of ego efforting and when I first read it I thought you know gee whiz I've, I've tried you know I've tried all my life um, to be like this and always always failed and the reason I think for that is exactly like he says in the text also that you cannot take an ego alien adventure with the ego as the guide and um, and so I want to emphasize that um, the characteristics of God's teachers are not achievements 
they're not something to be strived for. They uh, grow out of, just like fruit grows out of a fruit tree, they grow out of the relationship of the Son to the Father. And they're predictable and reasonable and logical outgrowths of that relationship that grows deeper and deeper and deeper um, after first being introduced to it via the holy instant. Somebody asked me one time, um, speaking of the lesson now, let's ask for Christ's vision. And somebody asked me one time what I thought Christ's vision was. And before I had a chance to think of it, what came out of my mouth was to be seen, to see as I have been seen. You could say that also, to give as I have received. Um, and, and to me, that's Christ's vision. It's so simple, so very, very simple, that once I allow my true self, my naked and vulnerable self, to be seen by Christ, I recognize that um, the atonement is mine. It is mine. It's already mine. It's Christ's atonement. It's that transmission of perfect innocence that is in his gaze upon my soul. And to give that as I have received it is absolutely and total, totally also reasonable and logical. And the growth of that reception. And um, and when, when my life starts to manifest uh, fruit like these characteristics, uh, what could be my response except joyful gratitude, which to me is the essence of today's lesson. And to play with these ideas, I mean, as I mentioned, this reading is so very tightly woven, one to the next, to the next. This is impossible because of this. Um, to To play with these ideas and to recognize and honor them just as I would fruit um, is the essence of practicing the lessons we're given from the Holy Spirit. So a way I like to play, I mean, this is play when I, when I realize um, what we're being given here. I like to play with it. Like, oh, that's the same as lesson uh, today, 340, when he talks about defenselessness and joy. That's the same as lesson 153 and my defenselessness, my safety lies. Oh, that's the same as, and, and to play, to play like that with the lessons um, helps me um, uh, effervesce, you know, um, make real to my own mind and heart what we're being offered here. And I think that's the true true um, offering in this section of the characteristics of God's teachers, not because these are achievements, but because he wants me to recognize the depth of the gifts that grow out of this relationship. 
and uh, and I'm very grateful to offer that today uh, as what I was asked to talk about. So I'm complete. Oh, that was good, Lori. Thank, Thank you, Lori. Thank you, Lori. Let's get naked, perfectly honest. I just love that. I, I really love this section. And, you know, I, I read and reread and reread it again and again, this honesty um, and conflict, uh, how it speaks of it in the, the first paragraph of honesty. Um, you know, that I can trust God loves me, and that enables me to be perfectly honest with God, that let me get naked before God and and um, see myself as I truly am. And that implies, you know, this consistency of, of being honest with myself pretty consistently throughout the day, every day. I mean, it speaks of this as being, you know, how I... In, integrate myself with God's will for me because God's will for me is to be happy, joyous, and free. And, you know, how am I, how am I um, going to be one with my, with my source, with, with my creator, my, my wholeness and my completion if, if I'm not aware of how I'm in conflict with myself and how all conflict comes from judging myself. Just love the way this this section just pulls all of this together, you know, that I can't be at peace when I'm judging myself, you know, and I love the, the next section on tolerance where it speaks of, you know, and it's been brought to my attention that the word tolerance is only repeated four times in the whole of all the uh, Course in Miracles, you know, the text, the lessons, the manual for teachers, and um the supplements, the song for prayer, um, and whatever. It's only in this section and um, that the word judge appears in that one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve, I'll stop counting. But the word judge, you know, and the relinquishment of judgment, which it um, we've recently read about in trust. You know, the end, quiet, tranquil mind stages when, you know, we're building our faith and trust in God in all situations, in all circumstances, and my commitment to this trusting trusting God and not trusting um, on Jude's opinion or um, Jude's self-reliance, you know, giving, throw, throwing Jude to the wind. <laughs> I don't know anything. What I think I know, I'm going to throw um, out the window to be open-minded and open-hearted and without judgment of myself or others. And you know, I just love reading this, this um, section on what is the ego and how perfectly it, it, it um, juxtaposes, juxtapositions itself, the ego um, the little self, what she thinks she knows um, from her limited perspective and point of view, and how letting that mini-me self go and, and relaxing into um, trusting God and saying, I don't know 
you do, and I think I'll ask you, because you do know, and you will reveal to me everything I need to know. And I had this chuckle this morning on a need-to-know basis. I don't need to know everything right here and right now. All I need to know is that peace and joy and, and love are mine and to hold fast to his gifts given to me and how he created me to be. That I love the way you shared that, Lori. Um, this, this is not something that I need to become. This is a relaxation into qualities, likenesses of my Christ consciousness. This is how I was created to be. These are qualities that I've inherited. They're inherent in my being spiritual will instead of, um, how do I put this simply, the difference, recognizing the difference between spiritual will, willingness to will as God would have me will as he does with these qualities, willingness to will with God juxtaposed to willful, Judy's willfulness. I want this to be different. I don't like this. Or I want it to be other than the way it is. And and the willful versus willingness is quite clear to Jude. So, um, you know, and that defense is defenselessness. How totally relaxed is that? And learning how to be simple. That joy, my joy comes from my capital understanding who created me. And I fully understand that all defenses are guardians of my mad illusion of a separate self. And why would I want to defend fear? That fear defends itself. This is wonderful. I'll be quiet, though, because I'm sure there's a lot to be in, inquired into in this reading and and, and reflections upon ourselves and 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 how we can really learn that we really all have all of these qualities all the time readily available to us. Amen. I'm complete. Thank you, Judy. Um, and I, I want to leave a window here for Robin Marie because uh, I know you have to leave for work. Yeah. Well, I just love that, Judy, and. And just to know that we can call on on uh, the Christ consciousness and just have those qualities at any time. They are they're they're inside us. All we have to do is be aware of them and just how how blessed are we? Thank you guys. Oh, thank you, Rob Marie. I'm so happy to hear that. Yeah. And a beautiful day. Thank you. Thank you, Robin Marie. That's the beauty in all of us. It's so, it's such a beautiful idea. <laughs> Joy, be glad. Good morning. I've been struggling for a while with how to um, 
think about uh, the violence that's going on in the world. Uh, the violence in the Ukraine, the violence in uh, Israel, Gaza, I spent. Um, and um, when I look at the news, it's all about taking sides <laughs> with one or the other. And and struggled with I guess of course the teacher of God he was seems to be going on seems to be lots of loss of life especially of so-called innocence, I say so-called, because everyone, the fighters and the non-combatants are all innocent. And as usual, I look to the course to provide answers. I got a recent email message from a friend whose we became friends almost 50 years ago. Uh, And uh, he's Jewish, and I have several friends who are Jewish, and uh, I have friends who are uh, Muslims, and um, as usual, when I start to feel conflict about anything, I turn to the chorus to see what, how would the course teach me to deal with this situation. Uh, how can I get above the the blame and the attacks or taking sides in this dispute. And what is this dispute? What is actually happening? What is the truth? And that can be 
any situation, uh, family conflict, uh, any situation that we think we're involved in, whether differences, differences of opinion, um, differences of ownership. And but there is no choice. Uh, and so I look to the course and sure enough today at our reading he talks about Gentleness. Harm is impossible for God's teachers. They can neither harm nor be harmed. We're all God's teachers, whether we acknowledge it or not. We're all God's teachers, and at some level, we know that. Uh, maybe just a little bit, but we know that. God's teachers can neither harm nor be harmed. Harm is the outcome of judgment. It's, it's, it's the dishonest act that follows of dishonest thought. It is a verdict of guilt upon a brother and therefore on oneself. It is the end of peace and the denial of learning. This whole section that we just read today can apply to any given situation we may find ourselves. Whether it be a small disagreement, a major rupture in relationships, or a major war where thousands of people are killed. To be able to rise of appearances and recognize that the truth is true and only the truth is true. And it's true in every given situation. 
tonight, today's lesson says, we can be free of suffering today. Be glad. There's no room for anything but joy and thanks today. Whatever seems to be going on in my life, whatever seems to be going on with the, with the, the world, I can rise above it. I don't have to suffer. I don't have to see suffering. I can recognize that I am not a boss. I am free. I am still as God created me. That is really soldier is not a body. He is his God created me. And Hamas Pfizer is not a body. He is his God created him. That little child killed by bomb dropped from 5,000 feet is not a body. Yes, it's God created him. That's the challenge to rise above it all and realize There is only what God created. There is nothing else. I'm complete. Thank you for letting go on. Oh, I loved every bit of that, Harrison. Thank you for sharing from the depths of your heart. Thank you, Harrison. Thank you very much. Thank you very much. Good morning, it's Karen. I'm waiting for anyone else who wants to thank Harrison or give him feedback. Okay. Um, I love this lesson, you know, that all suffering is gone today. You know, those are not the exact words, but... When I was meditating on it, I first went back to, um, I'm affected only by my thoughts. So how I, how I interpret what's happening, how I perceive what's happening determines whether it's suffering to me or not. You know, I can have bad pain in my body, excruciating pain in my body, but if my mind says, this is bad. I don't want this. I reject this experience. I go right into suffering. And there is another way to be with it, which is to just um, observe it. 
and and be gentle and kind of open to letting things just be as they are without judgment and without um, resistance. And the same goes for emotions. I mean, a little while ago I was feeling this irritation, you know, and I know it's my ego. My ego is, you know, I don't know, being a spoiled child or something. And prior to recently, I would have identified with it and rejected what I thought was causing it on the external plane. But instead, I was just, like, curious about it. Like, isn't that interesting? I wonder what what happened that, that came up. But not really, because I'm not going to introspect on it. I'm not going to give it my uh, attention other than to say, oh, the ego's having, a, you know, an emotion. And that's okay. I'm, not, I'm just not going to go there. It's okay if it's here. In other words, I, I'll allow it to be here. If it's here, but I'm not giving it any story, I'm not giving it any truth, I'm not getting into the belief in it, or I'm not going there. I'm not tying it to the external reality and making up something as if it's real. And um, I just really loved, you know, to be honest, you have to be consistent. And that means that I consistently stay in the truth. I don't go into my um, separated self-interest. I don't go into my private world reality. And I think that's what yesterday talking about trust was about, that there's the sorting out and there's the examining and then there's the unsettling. And there's all those steps to get to a place where we're clear and open and honest. And then you can be honest. But up to that point, you have conflict and you have divided um, di- divided mind. You know, part of the story in the ego mind seems real and, and you're not willing to, to completely relinquish it. But when you come completely into um, honesty, it's just one self-consciousness, one mind consciousness, spirit, God's self-consciousness, the ego stuff fades into the background. I mean, there's an awareness of it. I used to think, well, I don't have to suffer because I have the power in my mind to change this situation. But that was not, the, that was not what I think it is now. I mean, I don't know what's real or true, ultimately speaking, but I think that, yes, those things will change even of themselves, but I don't have to change them. I'm not the doer. God is the doer. I'm the empty vessel that God flows through. So when it comes to um, whatever is happening, I don't judge it. That's the first place. Suffering requires my judgment against something. I don't judge it. I trust that God is with me. I take refuge in the divine. I rest in God. I accept. I can choose peace instead of this. Well, this is going on, but I choose to be in peace. I mean, it's so, there's so much temptation to look out in that world. Climate change. Oh, my God. It's dominating the news, and it's so terrifying. You know, the wars, the wars. Um, I have a Jewish last name. 
my daughters both identify as being Jewish. I was raised Catholic, so um, my former husband was Jewish. So there's a there's even a temptation to take this on and have some, you know, anti-Semitic paranoia about it, either from my own name or for my children. But um, all of it, we can't go there. We can't go there. We have to trust. We have to say, you know, beyond the, the external physical world is the world I want. You know, in suffering, I'm identified with my separate self, my physical body, my senses, my emotions, all of which belong to ego, all of which are absolutely unreal. The ego is a false self. It's not true. I can't be identified with it. I could say it's it's passing through me and being purified or, you know, there's some experience happening here which I won't judge because I know God is taking care of me. I don't have to judge this experience and I certainly don't have to be afraid of the external world because this world is the place where people come to wake up. And And this is what's necessary for people to wake up. And for those who are awakened, we can, we can, you know, rest in God and let things just play out. I don't know if that's too passive, and I, I know that every step of the way with the Course, our, our understanding deepens. And so what I thought was, you know, what I thought I understood a year ago, now I understand a lot more deeply, and it's more nuanced. And so, you know, as I said yesterday, I think... I am a work in progress. But I thought each and every one of those um, characteristics of God's teachers really evolve out of just being the empty mind and letting God move through us more and more. And then our lack of defenselessness, we are gentle. In our lack of judgment, we are harmless. And when all of that happens, we are joyful. I think that's enough. Thank you so much. I'm complete. Oh, man, that was really great. Really, really great, Karen. Well, thank you for the opportunity to say it so I could clarify it. I'm so grateful. I'm complete. Oh, you bet. You thank bet. you, Karen. Morning, this is Sandra. And uh, I can be free of suffering today. How's that possible? Well, what I'm noticing about myself is that I suffer when I think I'm a victim. And this life that I've experienced has programmed me to think that I'm a victim. And I'm going to get a little graphic here. There's been a gang rape. There has been abuse by, by, uh, by a caregiver that looked like being thrown downstairs, that looked like gone after with knives. I mean, by every, every determination, you could, the, the world has programmed me as being a victim. 
and I bought into it. I believed it. Why wouldn't I? (laughs) The whole world says I am. But you know what? Being a victim feels awful. It's terrible. It's a terrible condemnation of myself that I'm a victim of the world I see. Instead, and Harrison, you'd be proud of me. That world is an illusion. It's not even real. But I bought into it. I took it personally. And I took on that victim mentality. And you know what happened? I invited more victimization and more victimization. Because I have to change that whole programming of what is a victim Is a victim a person who dies due to war? Is a victim a person who's been traumatized and and tortured and all the things that we see? You know, we're programmed to see victimhood. And I'm telling you, this, this challenge that I've taken on to work my way out of being a victim because it feels like crap and the more I identify taking it personally with being a victim the more I create more victimization it's the law of attraction so for today through the, the gift the tool of forgiveness I can forgive the programming I can, I can forgive it all it's not an easy task But that's the challenge, to forgive it all, to let it all go, to know that God has a plan here. And what's the plan that I signed up for? To awaken, to awaken from thinking that I'm a victim of the world I see, which only brings me suffering. When I believe that lie, I suffer. And I'm done with suffering. I'm so done with it. I'm complete. Oh, what a beautiful description of healing, Sandra. Thank beautiful. you very much for that. Thank you, Sandra. Thank you, Sandra. I am so enjoying this today. Um. Karen uh, and and Harrison and and Sandra and you know that, that's why I call when I refer to understanding I call it capital understanding. It's a capital understanding is recognizing how God created me to be is in peace naturally. That is my home ground, and you know I don't want to belabor that point, but the um, characteristics that are inherent in that um, is what the focus of our dialogue is today. And um, becoming teachers of God, becoming miracle workers, being ready, ready, willing, and able to have open-minded, open-heartedness without duty interfering with her false beliefs, her core beliefs that she's a body and projecting them on the world that the um, 
the ego theme reading really speaks very loudly to me of that I do not perceive my brother as an image of his own making. And Harrison, you you really made my heart sing when you when you talked about judgment in any in regard to any aspect of any part of the Son of God that speaks to the description of the ego in the description of the ego any thought that anybody has me or others any emotion that we have any acts that we do any group acts that we do you know any you know we think of things in fragments and they can be big fragments or little fragments little tiny you know I can get pissed off because someone said a word to me or I can get disturbed by war in in starvation environmental whatever but the um the recognition of the subtle and sublime state of being at peace and one with my source the course speaks of this the christ in me is very still and it repeatedly says these words very quiet how do we get this quiet how do we get this stillness and it comes it is naturally inherent in us when we let go of the judging mind of the mind that thinks I'm like resolute and not having thoughts period and of subject <laughs> and that stillness and that quietness finding my inherent joy and unity and state of being in grace and that I'll finish with that that there's no order of difficulties there's no size big or little that a miracle of love a thought of love will not correct in the immediacy of now it's always available no order of difficulty in miracles and that there's no order or hierarchy of problems of suffering that miracles will not correct and release us from so again I repeat the lesson for today. I can be free of suffering today. Thank you for all your beautiful shares. I'm complete. Thank you, Judy. That was very Thank nice you, Judy. <clears throat> this is Jessica, and <laughs> I just want to share a little slice of my life because this often happens when I'm on the call is that I start getting messages from various members of my family about various challenges that they're dealing with. And this morning I started, well, actually it happened when I went to bed last night. My son said, could you find out if there's school choice in this town that they just moved to in Massachusetts? Because he wants to know if his kindergarten daughter can go to a different school. And so, of course, I said, what's going on? And, And so this morning... I'm communicating a little bit about what his daughter is talking about. And, you know, it's it's like I'm sending these messages and I'm thinking this is exactly what what I'm reading about. You know, it's about it's about separation. She she's uh, you know, she's five. She's used to when (laughs) she's used to her parents making a pretty big deal out of when she hurts herself. 
and apparently she she told my son that she doesn't like her teacher anymore because when she hurt herself in the playground, the teacher said, quote, you're fine. (laughs) (laughs) And it's like, um, and and now she doesn't like the teacher. And I mean, you know, so I'm, so I'm saying stuff about that. And then, and then she's saying that this friend that she thought was her friend is now talking to this other girl and blah, blah, blah. And, you know, I find myself saying things like, um, she, that, oh, what did I say? It's just, it was just, um, I said, it's the old, I'm different feeling that we have for the rest of our lives. The only thing that helps is recognizing it's universal and that it's not true. And, um, it, um, and I said, it's her awakening from one understanding of her relationship to others to confronting what seems like separation slash rejection. And, you know, <laughs> this kid, she's, she's only five, but, you know, I talk to yeah. her about God a lot. And um, she says amazing things, uh, as does her 11-year-old sister, who last week said to me, uh, the 11-year-old said, um, do you think you can go to a past life in the future? And I just looked at her and I said, oh, my God, that is a great question because time is not linear. So I don't know the answer, but it's a great question. You know, and that's like, I, that's part of why I love to be around kids because, you know, they, they haven't shut down on the possibilities of perception and reality. And, um, you know, when my son first said, can she go to a different school? I was like, oh, Jesus, what's happening? You know, like she's biracial. And I thought, you know, the town they're in is not very um, uh, uh, integrated or not integrated. It's not very diverse. I mean, it's a little bit, but not very much. And I thought, oh, God, I hope, I hope there's nothing going on like that, you know, which, of course, would be the same thing. I don't know why that would be worse. You know, it's, it's all the same thing. It's about, you know, I don't want to play with you because you don't play the right games. I don't want to play with you because you don't live in the right neighborhood. I don't want to play with you because whatever. You know, it's, it's all about judgment and what we've been reading about, about judgment. And, um, and girls in particular start to, you know, think about all these emotionally charged things and, and practice, you know, and explore the relationships in, in, in a much more, uh, I don't know, complicated ways, I guess. So, you know, being, being the loving grandmother, of course, I, I want to... Um, you know, solve the problem. <laughs> and luckily, I will get to talk to her, although she may not say anything about any of this stuff. But, um, but I'm I'm helping my son to understand that. You know, this the, the these are age old issues that um, our kids deal with, and that we deal with. It's all the same. Anyway, sorry. I just thought I wanted to share that how 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 parallel this it was going here in in my phone. 
Thanks. I'm so glad you did. I'm so glad you did. Thank you very much, Jessica. I love it's, that, it's Jessica. I'm... Go ahead, sweetie. Well, I was just going to say that I, I really loved the wisdom that you sent your son. It was beautiful. I'm complete. Yeah. And I, I think it's... Um, well, here's what I think in truth. I think it's a characteristic of awakeness that the more I become aware of how my mind works, the more I become aware of how all minds work. Uh, and it becomes very, very reflective out there um, because I'm paying more attention, you know. And I think that's, um, I think that's very, very fruitful, Jessica. So thank you very much. Thank you, Lori. Thank that you. was really well said. Really well said. Thank you. Thank you, folks. This is Ida. Um, I'm not feeling well today, so I didn't eat and I'm lying down. But uh, I'm kind of eating up your your words because they're very nutritious food, and hopefully, you know. I'm not suffering. It's even if you have pain or illness, you don't have to suffer. Mama. Thank you. No, that's very true, Ida. And I'm glad that uh, the peace we share ministers to you. I think uh, that's part of being gifted with these, these uh, manifestations of the Holy Spirit that we can share. Um, with each other in a way that strengthens each other's being. So I'm glad to hear that, my dear. I think uh, <clears throat> I have I have a reading that I really, really love and I want to share it. Um, but I want to give it a I want to give it a birth first, and and that birth is um, the way I talk to myself. You know, I close the door because my dog's reactive to the guy on the roof. Um, but um, the word gentleness appears in the Course in Miracles 185 times. Gentle, or a derivative of gentleness. And uh, to me, the biggest gift of learning to listen to the Holy Spirit uh, was learning um, how the Holy Spirit speaks to me. And it turns out, the more I hear the Holy Spirit, uh, the less I hear of my ego voice. But when I first started to listen deeply, uh, I noticed right away that the way the Holy Spirit talks to me was entirely different than the way uh, I talk to myself. You know, we all have this inner narrative going on and um, it's as loud as my willingness to listen to it, you know. And I didn't realize how much attention I paid to that inner storyteller until I started paying attention to the Holy Spirit and the contrast between the, the voices was so dramatic. I mean, my inner storyteller voice was 
not very nice at all. And after a while, I got thinking, uh, the way I talk to myself, or the way I listen to myself talking to myself, is narrating an entirely different experience than what I know for a fact is available to me. And the quality of that inner voice, I want to just say, is so good and so gentle and so kind and so sweet and never, ever, ever talks bad to me. And I realized that this thing happens. The more I listen to that voice, the more I start talking like that voice outside of me. It's amazing. I didn't, I didn't realize that that could happen. And I think that's what he means when he says creation's gentleness is all I see. And in this description of gentleness, it's a matter of becoming reflective of the voice, you see? And it's um, a natural outgrowth. And I think the more I can cultivate gentleness in my mind I mean let that grow he calls it tending your garden in course of love the more I can let that grow the more that turns out to be my experience of life and um, like all these characteristics um, there I want to say there's a word numinous and light filled and he talks about light a lot in the Course in Miracles, too. But uh, here's the reading I wanted to share. It's from the Sufi master, Elias Amidon. He talks about it like this. He says, the more, the more we navigate this life, uh, the more we realize that there's something that bridges our inner experience and our outer experience. We have an inner experience of the good, or he calls it, I'll just quote now, I'm reading from this article. We can find a hint to this response to life. What we're talking about is a response to life. In the work of the third century Greek mystic Plotinus, Plotinus often called God by the name the good and recognize that the numinous reality of the good is an all-pervading and all-present reality. Here he gives us a hint. The good is gentle and is always at the disposition of whomever desires it. Let's hear that again. The gentleness of the good is always at the disposition of whomever desires it. A great French historian describes it this way. Plotinus's entire life consisted in the experience that gentleness, like grace, proclaims the presence of the capital principle of all things, the holiness of all things. The guidance here is that we can learn how to relax, how to open into openness, and how to simply be the presence of now by following the scent of gentleness. Gentleness is the sign and the assurance. And we can feel this gentleness spontane spontaneously and directly in our body. Try it. 
Next time you sit in meditation, doing your best to relax and to open, follow the gentleness. You'll know it by its welcome. There is a sun warmth inside, nurturing the fruit of your being, Rumi tells us, a love breath that lets you open infinitely. Let its gentleness pervade your mind and heart and body. It's already present, so you don't have to make it up. If you feel stuck in old patterns of self-identity or nervousness, you can start by noticing the gentleness of your breath. How gently each breath appears and disappears so subtly, let it assure you. Gradually, the gentleness of your presence will reveal itself. Let that gentleness take you. Whatever stories, fears, or grief might trouble your daily life, whatever pains or depressions you may feel, give them to the gentleness. The gentleness of the good is not a thing. It's more like a fragrance, a familiar love, a warmth, acceptance, safety. It's completely kind. Sufis call it the friend. You might ask the good, the friend, this gentleness, do I have to believe in all this? I think it helps, (laughs) at least to begin with. If you don't naturally feel what this gentleness is, start by pretending you feel it, and after a while it'll be evident. Then believing won't be necessary. Now here's the good part. Toward the end of his life, Plotinus became increasingly aware of the importance of learning how to live our daily, day-to-day life, guided by our contemplation of the gentleness of the good. As long as we're embodied in this human form, he saw that our task is to bridge our experience with the purity of the good with our experience of daily life. Bridge our experience of the purity of the good with our experience of daily life. Isn't that what every lesson in this work is guiding us toward? Gentleness is that bridge. Here's a hint. When we notice, for example, we're being judgmental or irritable or out of rhythm, ego voice, I'm here to say, will tell you, oh, bad, bad, bad. If we notice it, what happens? Through the very gentleness of our noticing, our irritability and self-preoccupation subside. We apologize. We become simpler, gentler. Following the gentleness of the good is indeed a simple and ancient ethic. The Vedas say it, let all the world be my friend. Jesus said it, love one another. Dalai Lama, my religion is kindness. The Quran, servants of the merciful one are those who walk gently upon the earth. In the turmoil of our times, Oh, so critical. Learning to walk gently upon the earth, following the gentleness of the good. By its grace, we will find our way forward. And I truly do believe this is me saying that gentleness is that bridge. I'm complete and I'm so very grateful that our reading today provided an opportunity to reflect on that together with you all. And we'll see you again tomorrow. (laughs) There's always more, huh? Thank you, everyone. I'll end the recording, and I probably have to uh, rush off because we've got some situations going on upstairs. 